The film podcast you are about to listen to contains heavy scholars, so if you have not seen the feature film we are discussing in this episode, please pause now and go watch before continuing. You have been warned. Where are you going? Just leaving. But where? I have to return some videotapes. everyone welcome to another episode of i have to return some videotapes i am armand i'm joe as always and yeah this is just a film review podcast where we just talk about movies that we recommend to each other last episode we saw the classic napoleon dynamite and at the end joe picked out the film that will be discussing a day you want to tell the listeners what we'll be talking about joe absolutely um this is a beloved documentary it was one of the first i don't think it was a netflix original but it was one of the first documentaries to be featured prominently on netflix it's called jiro dreams of sushi it is about a very i would say very intense sushi uh sushi (laughs) chef but (laughs) I would wager to say that this film is, while it's maybe centered around sushi, and it has some beautiful cinematography, the real mm-hmm. story is not about sushi. But before we get into our film of discussion, I wanted to bring up, Joe, you were recently on a show last week, a local Houston show. You care to tell us about it? <laughs> I was. I was. So, there is... Okay, basically, I don't know if we said this in one of the episodes yet. I, for a long time, have been working on becoming a comedian. And Armand, for a long time, has been working on honing his musician skills. And um, Mm -hmm. we've both ran into our fair share of artists and shows and things like that. And when I first started doing comedy, I met these guys who were doing i don't think they were doing it yet but i'm pretty sure they were living together and they do this show called efren rager where they talk about they bring on guests and they talk to them about like you know how they like to party and things like that but really it's just like you know i'm just kind of shooting the shit and um yeah they invited me back because of this podcast i've been on once before and since they already know how i like to party they were just we just kind of goofed around, you know, we played a little game. I did some impressions. Oh, yes, those were amazing, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> well, thank you. It was an overall fun time. It seemed like some great guys. And, yeah, hopefully, maybe sometime in the future, we can both be on there. Yes, yes, sadly, Armand was not able to make it this time. But that's okay, because Connor and Ned and I, you know, we go back 
and they yeah. they always tell me you know if you ever want to come back to just let them know for the listeners please support f and rager it's on twitch now and uh yeah you can go see the episode i was on and you know just go see other episodes with a lot of other cool houston creatives yeah we tried uh for those who don't know we did make an instagram last week so we tried promoting it on there if you haven't follow us on instagram at videotapes uh, podcast follow f and rager it's spelled uh e-f-f-i-n right yes so yeah e-f-f-i-n rager and yeah they're pretty fun they do weekly shows right they do they do weekly shows i'm not sure if they like if they take breaks, you know, in the summer or something, but they definitely have a lot of, um, if you're just getting into them, there's a lot of content to check up on, yeah. It's great, you know, for anyone who's local to the Houston area, since they bring on a lot of just other local Houston creatives, so be a part of the community, reach out. Absolutely, absolutely. Also, there are some other updates I wanted to bring. I updated our anchor uh, website, which you can find at anchor.fm slash videotapes podcast. There's a feature on, on Anchor where you can actually send in voicemails. So for any listeners who have any thoughts, recommendations, or questions or of any kind, feel free to go to our Anchor website, anchor.fm slash videotapes podcast, and send us a voicemail. We also have an email, too, if you want to I know we're going against typical podcast etiquette where we save the, the plugs for the end, but we also have an email as well uh, that <laughs> Joe made. It's uh, we.miss.blockbuster at gmail.com. We do. It's true. <laughs> do you really remember Blockbuster? Because I feel like we were really young when Blockbuster like was on its way out. Yeah, um, so the thing was, <laughs> I know, yeah, we're, we're kind of pulling the shades back. Um, Armand and I are in our early 20s, so to speak. And yeah, I remember the Blockbuster next to my house was, it was like a joint, it was like Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. And, you know, you, mm. you would go in and in the front was the big Blockbuster. And then in the back, it was like, it was like, you know how uh, how some some stores have like the porn section like that's where they put all the video <laughs> games and <that. laughs> oh yes yeah yeah that is also my one memory of being in a blockbuster was like picking up some ps2 video games because <laughs> that's all i cared about as a as a kid yeah and i wasn't i mean i did have some vhs's i loved fucking the land before time but i wasn't like super into movies yet the few VHS tapes I did own was Shrek, and it was in that fucking green slime-colored VHS tape. <laughs> and also the fucking Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. <laughs> it's weird the things that you, like, you're into as a kid, because, like, no joke, I would play that movie fucking, like, a lot of times <laughs> as a kid. I'd just be like, alright, I guess I'm just gonna rewatch The Phantom Menace again. <laughs> And that's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's just these things were popular when we were kids. And, yeah, it was like you could 
you couldn't fucking go anywhere without tripping over a videotape. I had a Shrek uh, VHS tape too, so I get it. I had those Nick VHS tapes, the fucking orange. Ooh, ooh. Oh yes, had the fucking Rugrats movie, dude. That movie was sad. <laughs> okay, okay. We- <laughs> Well, speaking of sad, let's get into our <laughs> topic of discussion. Oh, uh, I know. I know. Okay. So, how do I start this without just... I feel like it's going to be hard to, to dive into this without, like... It, there's, like, lore to this movie, basically. <laughs> um, it is... So, I think it's his name is Jiro Ono. And he's yes. a, yeah, he's a sushi, sushi, yeah, sorry, sushi, why the fuck can I say this word? It's so <laughs> stupid. Sushi, <laughs> sushi chef, that's a tongue twister. And, um, yeah, they're in Tokyo, right? Yeah. Okay. I don't know exactly how long they've had that one shop, but Jiro has been creating and just chefing up sushi for like what it was like 75 years and he's like 85 when this movie was being shot and you yeah. can't you kind of can't tell like you know he's kind of older but you're like 85 what the fuck dude and basically he puts his whole life and soul into making sushi like his restaurant only serves sushi so he'll i think they said they they serve like 20 pieces of sushi to each guest uh give or take and so there's no appetizers you know like there's no other there's different types of sushi but there's like no other type of food there it's like truly only a specialist in sushi they take fucking extra precaution on everything like they they go to like the best vendors and they like take the time to find the best vendors you know i think they went to one vendor who was selling octopus and they were like yeah this dude's grandfather was the god of sea eel and you're just like what the fuck and basically jiro he's a perfectionist and it's very apparent he he thinks of literally every single detail yeah i mean the the film title is jiro dreams of sushi and there's literally one scene where he's talking about how he's having dreams of coming up with new ideas for sushi and trying to make the perfect sushi well i guess joe what inspired you i guess to pick this out for our film discussion today well one thing i want other film enthusiasts and even people that aren't so in the film i want them to understand that documentaries are fucking amazing and that there is I don't know. There is something almost fantastical about documentaries, even though that they're usually based on real life. And some are exaggerated, for sure. But there is just really something really powerful about capturing these stories. And they're almost usually about like these very kind of individual, almost niche lifestyles. And this is a documentary that stood out. When I was thinking of, you know, just something to find that would kind of... Basically, I want uh, I want this podcast, this space. I want us to promote uh, all types of genres. And 
I thought that this would be a great movie for anyone to get into documentaries if they aren't already into them. Yeah, absolutely. All about, you know, broadening our horizons. It's a good pick as of right now because I would say uh, this film particularly, it centers around work and work ethic and... At the time of recording this, I am about to return to work after being uh, unemployed for an entire year. I'm going to miss being a bum collecting that (laughs) sweet unemployment check. I mean, look, it says more about our system that I was making more money on unemployment than at my real job. But uh, they did increase the pay at my old job, so that's, you know, that's a step up. But... uh, what I really took away from this movie is uh, how centered it is on just work and hard work because Jiro kind of just spends every day making sushi. I don't know. I don't want to get into the downer stuff yet because I told Joe before we recorded that I was going to be kind of the contrarian on this episode. Because uh, not to say that this was a bad documentary, but... Uh, I would say some of the themes that it presented towards, I guess, that capitalist mind state of like work, I kind of wasn't vibing with. In fact, actually, I remember on the Effin Rager show, they brought up a video that was talking on about like work, work ethic. And it, it was just like, oh, that's kind of crazy. You know, like when I was watching the film, I was thinking about that video that they uh, showed on the stream about, yeah, work ethic in today's age. You know, that I didn't even put that together, but I think what's happening is, of course, a lot of us got laid off because of the pandemic. And, you know, now that we're coming back into the workforce uh, and I guess more more powerfully into the workforce, you know, like more uh, aspects of the economy are opening up. There's this kind of like we as both consumers and as employees are kind of coming more face to face with um, the problems of at least I can say in America, like the problems with yeah like the idea of like working so hard for for jobs that really don't take care of us and maybe don't pay us enough to like live off of them and things like that i don't know if i was already thinking about that when i chose this film because i made this pick or i first saw this film back before i ever even had a job you know i was still in high school but yeah, I guess it did kind of rush back to me. Maybe it was a subconscious thing where I was thinking about all that. Yeah. But yeah, that was kind of my basic takeaway from this movie. Um, I, I guess before we get into my problems with it, I will, I will say what I did enjoy about the film. Obviously, it's shot very beautifully. <laughs> Essentially, it's basically food porn. It's sushi <laughs> food porn. <laughs> So if you're a lover of sushi and uh, just want to bask in its beauty, then by all means, you know, take the time to watch this. And yeah, and it will make you hungry. I did fucking order sushi before I watched this film because I already know this film's going to fucking make me hungry. So <laughs> ordered sushi from local sushi joint and 
Yeah. We should also say, I think we've mentioned it in another episode too, Armand and I very much enjoy sushi. I know some people aren't really into seafood. That's not us. Yo, one of the best, one of the best days from the way back was when we went to Cura, you know, with the, it's like one of the only revolving, uh, yeah, revolving sushi, uh, conveyor belt sushi places in Houston, but it's pretty good. I really liked it. The sushi place I ordered from, um, uh, it was an interesting place because they also serve ramen there. Okay. It's called, yeah, Tamashi Ramen and Sushi. Uh, I have not eaten the ramen yet, but the ramen looks really good. So for any local Houstonians who want to check out some local sushi places, hit up uh, Tamashi. It was pretty damn good. They also have some bomb-ass takoyaki. Oh, dude, takoyaki is so good. For those that don't know, takoyaki is uh, octopus, but they put in this like little fried ball and like fill it with like s- sauce, and it's really delectable. Yes, for I guess for the very very American listeners out there who don't ha- haven't really like ventured out into Japanese cuisine, takoyaki is basically like um, it's like fried onion except it's an octopus and in a ball (laughs) yeah if you've not had octopus you know it definitely octopus isn't for everyone um because like the meat it is a little bit tougher although squid is a lot tougher than octopus if you ever had squid but yeah so for those who i guess are picky eaters like myself then that might not be your thing so just a heads up yes but yeah so joe um, I guess what do you, what did you uh, love about this documentary since it has affected you? It has, which feels weird. And part of me is still trying to like understand what about it is so I don't know, so captivating. I think you know it's not just uh, it does look very beautiful, and they present the food very amazingly it's like they presented like how studio ghibli films present food yeah Yeah. but i think what it is is just like you see you see someone like jiro who is very very immersed in his work right and it's just very like very determined and very steadfast about it almost obsessed with it like he doesn't even like to not work you know what I'm saying? I think there is, even though it's, you can, they show it in a way where it's like, you get to understand his passion, but you also understand that it has been detrimental, right? To <laughs> probably his health sometimes, and for sure, some of his family relation uh, relationships, and don't worry, we'll get into that. But I think what it was is, especially around the time that I first saw this film, and I mean, Amon can kind of attest to this. I was very obsessed with comedy, you know, just very into it. Mm-hmm. Always knew I wanted to like try it, and I was just so sure that all I wanted to do was do stand up, and I still do. But you know, just understanding how things are going, I'm like, I should probably have a little more under my belt than just stand up. Um, but by the by the time i saw this film it was only like it was just such a motivating force because i never really 
I guess since we're talking about work ethic, I would say that in Texas, there is, because I've noticed this in San Antonio too, there is a lot of like easygoingness. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like people, even when someone cares about their job, there is this idea of like, you know, we don't really want to like put our whole entire being into it. I mean, you do definitely find those like, you know, rise and grind types. But for the <laughs> most part, it's just everybody is just like trying to work just to like drink beer afterwards or something like that. You know, like, yeah, no one is no one is into their work because they're passionate about it. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to generalize, but for the most part, we're just trying to work to get by because that's what we have to do. Right. And so when I saw this film and knowing, you know, knowing I had this huge passion, I saw this film and I was like hesitant because I've definitely heard horror stories of like someone attempts their passion, attempts to work in their passion and they get kind of burnt out with it or, you know, whatever kind of problems arise. But you see someone like Jiro and even if it's, you know, maybe not been completely the best at least like for him in terms of like other aspects of his life you see that he is so like he just loves his job and because he loves his job he kind of like loves his life and there just wasn't really something that anyone had ever really talked to me about until i saw this film and i think i also didn't really know a lot about like kind of japanese culture and you know what's the expectations of like work and like family and things like that so knowing that it has changed my perception of it a little bit but it was yeah. really nice to see someone who is so so passionate and it's like damn like you can really you can still put in so much passion and still flourish and maybe it's not for everyone to do that but it's possible yeah yeah, I will say, yeah, I do want that to be, I guess, the main takeaway is that, like, I guess one of my problems with the film is, to me, what makes a great documentary, even though I'm not really well-versed in documentaries, but I guess for me, what makes a great documentary is that it explores kind of all sides of, of you know, the subject and I feel like with this documentary, it tends to more just focus on the positive sides of Jiro than the negative. Like, they definitely bring up some negatives of his, like, just work yourself to the bone everyday lifestyle. But they just kind of briefly, like, touch on it and, like, kind of go past it <laughs> in a way. And that kind of didn't really sit well with me. I know. I think that's fair. And you're right. You're right, but I mean, I I do also, I think that sometimes that is just kind of like part of Japanese culture. Like, I think things are changing nowadays, but mm -hmm. there was definitely a time, for sure, when Jiro was growing up, to where like, you would get a job and you were just kind of there. Like, you, it wasn't even about the job. It was about your loyalty to like a company yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It still is, like, that way. Like, that's why, like, you still see, you know, there's been a lot of studies on that about, like, just so many workers being 
exhausted. <laughs> That's why in Japan, like, you'll see, like, fucking businessmen, like, just pass out on the train after, like, a long day of work. Like, because they're just working themselves to the bone. Because that's kind of the cultural, like, mentality in Japan. Right. The classic Shibuya meltdown. I'd also, uh, real quick, as a side note, I'd like to say, I think it was also kind of good to focus on this movie. Because I think it's good to promote, uh, of course, uh, Asian stories. And Mm -hmm. I know it's all about Asian-American stuff, but... Jiro Ono is not Asian American. He's just Japanese. So, but also I think it's fair to promote and, you know, appreciate these stories and also still yeah, still understand that maybe their kind of culture isn't necessarily for us. So, you know, this is we're going to talk about this stuff and, you know, we're going to be honest with our feelings, but this is not uh this is not about bashing but yes go on yeah we're no way experts on you know foreign cultures japanese culture but yeah this is just from our perspective outside looking in and also these problems tend to kind of reign in america too while i think yeah as you said earlier americans aren't focused on working themselves like that much being that so overly dedicated to their jobs there's kind of a point there's a scene in the movie i think it's jiro's eldest son who also works at the 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 restaurant yeah he like goes out to like buy the fish that they use for sushi and he's just like talking to like this guy this other guy i don't know if he's a vendor there but he's just kind of going on with that like mentality of just like oh like people these days they just want an an easygoing job that pays well and gives them a lot of free time and they're not thinking about building their skills and it's just it's like look look man i can admire dedication to like your craft or your career but like what's wrong with with wanting that like what's wrong with wanting an easy job that gives you the opportunity to have some free time and that gives you enough money to you know just sustain yourself with it's like there's nothing wrong with that and people deserve to live their life however they choose to see fit and basically yeah that was kind of my whole experience watching this documentary was just seeing these kind of like older people who are like devoted to this kind of like capitalist work hard every day lifestyle and then just me like questioning and debating it (laughs) and that is fair that is fair i think something we should also say for those who may not know uh of course we're all familiar with anime and uh maybe some like j-pop and stuff like that japan Mm -hmm. japan is a very conservative country yeah (laughs) um it is mostly like rural you know what i'm saying and i think sometimes people get so caught up in the kawaii elements of not even just japan but also like with south korea you know and things like that and you tend to forget there's a reason why all these things are so fantastical you know and yes this documentary does focus on the perspective of much like an older population like i think um yoshikazu the um the eldest son of jiro he's he's like 50 and he's yeah. also like one of the main 
kind of voices of the documentary. So you got an 85 year old and 50 year old. Yeah, it all ties back to fucking capitalism at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and again, it's just it's it's a thing that's just unfortunately ingrained basically from the get go. Like I mean, Jiro had pretty much a rough upbringing. His fucking like yeah there's a part where he he kind of keeps it vague he doesn't go really into details but he basically says that like at a very young age like around seven or nine his dad like his business fell apart and like his dad spiraled down like into drinking and alcoholism and basically that his like his dad like banished him from home at like seven or like nine years old and it's just like what the fuck dude like you know having no kind of like fucking parental guidance or like love such like brutality that's gonna like kind of shape how you become as a person and there's definitely like jiro's not the worst old man there's plenty of far worse older men out there but like he's definitely has that same like coldness that a lot of older men from that same generation do and it's because of shit like that of like just the of like these kind of cold households that don't really show any love or affection or any concern about like physical or mental well-being right and there was even like towards the end of the film there was that scene where um jiro and yoshikazu kind of go back to jiro's old village and they visit the grave of his parents like Jiro's parents and then Jiro makes this quick quip but they left it in he says something like I don't even know why I'm here my parents did not take care of me and then he just kind of laughs it off and it's like oh Jesus yeah (laughs) yeah pretty much (laughs) (laughs) so yeah this is this is kind of a story about like a tortured soul and you could almost even kind of say that some of the ways he was treated as a child he's kind of like bringing on into the next generation with his sons and i guess we oh, should yeah. get into that yeah um i mean his sons basically didn't have much of a choice he basically tells them that like yeah he talked them out of like going to college and basically working at the restaurant right and i mean it kind of sucks because there's basically when yoshikazu was talking about you know first starting to work there he said he hated the uh the first two years yeah but that's the thing it's like there is it really is part of the culture you know where like in japan there is an absolute expectation Uh, they even said it i think it was like the eldest son is supposed to like kind of follow in the father's footsteps with you know the business or what have you so it's really rough the other son is named Takashi. I don't know. He, you kind of get the feeling that like there's a little less stress on him because he has another restaurant. He doesn't work directly under his father, but you can tell that his father kind of pressured him and to get into the oh, business yeah. and opening a restaurant, things like that. Yeah, doesn't doesn't Jiro say at one point where it's just like it's like you you don't have a home anymore. It's like go go off. And he says, like, that's, like, what his dad said, what Jiro's dad said to him. And he, like, said the same thing to his son who runs the second restaurant. And it's just like, god damn, dude. Yeah. 
yeah it was basically this, that thing of like you know how some parents i mean it's not so much these days because like housing and rent is kind of wild but some parents yeah. have that mentality of like once you're 18 you're out the door oh yeah i don't know if that age Jiro was talking about was 18 but he was basically like once you leave the house you are not welcome back and that was yeah yeah and he even makes a remark about it at one point in the film he's just like oh man parents these days they're like oh if things get tough just come on back home and Jiro's just like well that's why they're failures <laughs> and he says like quote uh when parents say stupid things like that that's why the kids turn out to be failures and i'm just like yep this is what we're dealing with is just that old mentality that just old rough like harsh mentality of like quote unquote tough love or whatever it's just like i don't know if that's really love but okay yeah yeah and so i think that's why Part of the reason why I like this documentary so much is because it is it is definitely a celebration of uh, what Jiro can do and what he makes. But it is also, I want to say, you know, I'm pretty sure the the filmmakers, at least some of the crew, is like Japanese. There is definitely enough to take away that, yes, this is like a flawed man and this is like kind of a flawed scenario. But... I don't know, it's still kind of engaging. Yeah. Like, I can appreciate Jiro's, like, dedication to his craft and, like, wanting to basically perfect what he does. But, like, yeah, I think it comes at the cost of, you know, his family life. There's a one point in the film where he's talking about how when his sons were growing up that, like, they basically never really saw him because he was just always constantly at work and he like kind of makes a joke and just says like the kids would be like who is this strange man in our house right and that's like that's terrible you know it's it's terrible to like not be there for you know i guess the the true development years of a child but then when they're an adult you're like now you're stuck working in my restaurant so yeah, Jiro's kind of fucking selfish, man. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that pussy may be bomb. Uh, uh, that sushi may be bomb <laughs> as hell, but oh, uh, I just did a Freudian slip there. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Go on, go on. That sushi, <laughs> that sushi may be bomb as hell, but like, is it worth the fucking emotional turmoil you've caused along the years, Jiro? <laughs> when will this man be committed for his crimes? <laughs> and that's the thing it's like you realize especially even kind of like towards the beginning you realize that like this dude is so revered that no one is even kind of i mean they're kind of questioning his methods but no one is really gonna like work against it you know what i'm saying yeah they're like he's kind of messed up but the sushi is michelin grade and it's like yeah. okay but and that's kind of like what put a bad taste in my mouth with this documentary is, yeah, you kind of get that where it's just like, look, in the end, it's all about the the craft and the mastery of the sushi. And I'm just like, it's like, was it worth <laughs> all of this? <laughs> like they didn't, it didn't have to be like this. Jira. <laughs> 
yeah sorry about that that pussy comment earlier. <laughs> I, I was thinking of this letterbox review that I, I saw this morning i was scrolling on letterbox through some of the reviews and someone someone's review was just jiro how about you dream up some pussy <laughs> Okay. This is what no pussy does to a motherfucker. <laughs> First of all, I'd like to say if y'all aren't on Letterbox, please, please, it's like better than Rotten Tomatoes. Like, oh my god, oh, yeah. it's so good. It's crowdsourced reviews basically, and there's a lot of memery. You know, there's a lot of shit posting, but it's so funny, dude. <laughs> Man, now I have to read that uh, Cruella letterbox review that i posted Yo, the other I, day i just read that this morning <laughs> that's crazy here let me bring it up real quick apologies if there's a little bit delay no it's okay um why are you doing that i just like to say armand have you noticed that good good sushi is kind of like good pussy <laughs> Please elaborate. Uh, nope, nope. I should stop right there, actually. Oh, oh, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's up to you, listeners, to make your own opinion about what that means. No! <laughs> oh, now we're really going to get some fucking voicemails. Hey, I'm all for it. All right, so here's this uh, letterbox review about the new Cruella film. The fucking, I guess, 101 Dalmatians Joker type prequel right <laughs> so here we go this five ladies walked into the showing late and spent a few minutes continually changing their seats and whispering loudly to each other they finally got settled in and this kid started making noise one of the women got up walked over to the kid and told him to please shut the fuck up <laughs> the kid's mom yelled at her and called her a quote white trash bitch unquote and she yelled back and called her fat, and a major shouting match broke out. They walked out and continued fighting right outside, and at this point, half the audience had gotten up to watch them instead of the movie. <laughs> I was sitting all the way in the back, so I was able to do both. And then I heard the sound of a taser. The mom tased the other lady <laughs> twice. The mom stormed back into the theater, grabbed her child, she was still holding the taser, and rushed out so fast. About a minute later, the movie paused, and soon after, the cops showed up. They listened to all our accounts, and then the theater manager offered us refunds, or to just go into the next showing. The movie was alright, but the experience was unforgettable. Living in NYC is so fun. Three stars. <laughs> So glad movie theaters are back now. Yeah, I I still haven't been to one. I know some I know some people who have gone to see uh that Mortal Kombat movie and uh Godzilla versus Kong. Um Yeah. And now A Quiet Place 2 is out and so a lot of people are going to want to go see that in the theater cuz it's a movie that is more enhanced by the theater going experience. Yeah. That's true. But yeah, the the listeners, they needed to hear that wonderful story there. <laughs> oh, yeah. And this is why New York is uh, kind of uh, startling to me. It's like, I don't know if I can handle it in the Big Apple up there. <laughs> oh, dude. I I love it. I would love to to be there. I think... I don't even know how to explain it. I think I would still be very shy, you know. But <laughs> there is still... I'm just so used... Like, I understand 
the hustle and bustle it feels weird if i'm in a place that has none of that it's like what the fuck like what do y'all do yeah anyways back to the the film <laughs> i will say there is one scene that i <laughs> that enjoyed and like entertained me because i was just like what the hell is going on so the scene where they're like at the fish market oh, like at the yes there's a part where I don't know what is going on. It's like this crazy montage as like a fever dream. <laughs> I'm still clueless as to why it happens, but I, and I hope you know what I'm talking about. It's that part where they start ringing the bells, like the fish vendors, and they, they're just like yelling and screaming <laughs> and like shouting these like chants. And it just feels like this weird fever dream ceremony. Like, like, what is going on? Is there an auction taking <laughs> yes. place? No, that that's, that is definitely, that's their auction. And it's just that, like, there's so much going on that they couldn't even, so all this, this movie is, uh, it's in Japanese and it's like subtitled. I think there's so much going on that they didn't even, they're like, we're not going to try to <laughs> subtitle this shit. What's crazy about it is they they start playing like this, like, psychedelic like drumming music over it and like these dudes are like screaming with pure anger like on their face like they're just like (laughs) (laughs) like i'm just like what the fuck is going on and i i have to point out the soundtrack too up to this point is mostly like classical like piano like philip glass music right like this is just like just out of nowhere it's just like what the fuck I will say, uh, like, it woke me up because one of my complaints about this film is I think it's, even though it's only 80 minutes, I think not much happens in it, and I think it could have been shortened to, like, an hour, basically. Okay. Because, yeah, I kind of started getting sleepy halfway through, and then that scene happened, and it, like, woke me right back up, and I was just like, okay, (laughs) what is going on here? (laughs) But, yeah, that's... uh, at least I got to see that. That's like one plus I'll give this film was that crazy scene. Just watch that, no context, and it's going to give you a jolt. <laughs> yes, I do remember that scene. It was, I will admit, when it first started, I was like, I kind of didn't know what was happening either. <laughs> because it's like, like it, it really is just a fish market, but they're, yo, Amon is not playing. Like, they're so, like... Like, they're, like, roided up about, like, selling these fish, and it's it's kind of startling. It's literally, like, it, it kind of gets on some anime shit, like, on yeah. some Dragon Ball, like, yes. screaming, just, like, cowering, <laughs> just, like... <laughs> it's insane, dude. Yo. <laughs> dude, dude, we need a fucking, we need a Dragon Ball remix of just tuna fish vendors, because <laughs> that's fantastic. Ha! <laughs> 
for making your ears bleed. Back to the show. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's like the thing with anime and manga is like there's literally a like a manga or an anime for anything out there. They have plenty of cooking, like anime. I'm pretty sure there's probably an extreme sushi anime where like yeah, it's just sushi chefs fucking screaming. <laughs> I'd watch that. I'd watch that too, dude. If they power up and then make some like, yeah, dude, make some like. <laughs> I can't even think of it. I was trying to think of a name of a sushi. I couldn't even think of it. I'd watch it though. Well, I do have one question. Do you have a particular like favorite kind of sushi? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I think. I really love like let's see I love my sushi when it's like kind of salty and maybe a little savory but I love like when they put fish eggs on sushi dude oh my god um I think it's called uh ikura or something like that I it might be but yes you know put some fish eggs maybe some salmon I love I love nice crab in my sushi too I mean I, I do like it a little spicy I wish the thing is I love sushi, but um, there's like so much I can never remember the yeah. <laughs> the names of the yeah the rolls. And also, I don't know if you knew this, Armand, but even like going to Houston and then being I'm in San Antonio right now. Being in San Antonio, there is like some of the sushi names are different. Like in San Antonio, even though I've I've had sushi at different places, there is an Alamo roll. Oh yeah, some yeah. Sometimes some local restaurants will make like a, especially here in America, they'll make some shit like that. I forget. I saw at some restaurants they had yeah like the Houston roll or something like that, and I was just like, right. what is this? Exactly. And I just like, I don't know if that's like special to the restaurant or if it's like there is like an a kind of like a spoken rule of like yes this is what goes in an alamo roll and things like that no i think it's usually like a restaurant type of decision me per i think personally but yeah i mean to be fair there's so much like there's so much variety in sushi and i guess there is so much of a diversity when it comes to like every region you know like the only thing we can all kind of agree on uh, and that's slightly Americanized. Is the California roll, you know, just yeah. it's close to Japan, and the Philadelphia roll as well. I don't think I've had the Philadelphia roll actually, so I got to try that. I think it's like salmon. They they put cream cheese in there, which is oh yeah. I am a I'm a fan of the Philadelphia roll. I will say, um, they put yeah salmon, cream cheese. Uh, I forget what else, but that's the gist of it. <laughs> So yeah, what's what's your favorite sushi or like some of your favorite ingredients? Well, yeah, I'm a basic basic bitch. I love me <laughs> some salmon. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'm not a fan of uh, the the fish eggs. I think it's a little too salty for my taste. I really love the the egg sushi because I'm just a, a big fan of eggs. Yeah, I forget what it's called. I forget the name of it. But like when they like just they have that big piece of egg with the rice. Oh, really tasty. I love me some octopus, and uh, yeah, I want to try, I don't know if I've tried eel yet, I've been meaning to try eel. I think I have tried eel, I think I like eel, I like I like tangy stuff, 
yeah i love gummy bears and so you know i, I feel like the the venn diagram of like <laughs> the give of eel and like gummy candy is probably not so far <laughs> off <laughs> wow interesting comparisons you made there thank you i have an abstract mind oh man but yeah i guess let's bring this home what else do you want to i guess bring up about this film i did <laughs> okay <laughs> i would like to give a shout out to there was i'm telling you these vendors in this movie are so like they they're like characters onto themselves they're so interesting there's one vendor it's like a tuna vendor and he calls himself anti anti-establishment because he basically he will buy like either the first choice of tuna or nothing else you know he he's yeah. basically like like when it comes to football he's like fucking you know first pick or nothing and that's kind of kind of wild and it's like how is that your business model man yeah probably not making a lot of money from that but you know hey right i would love to give a shout out to those that seen they called it the kind of Jiro's con- concerto of like when he's serving sushi and how he goes through like these yeah. different movements. I thought that was beautiful. And also, even though Japan is very conservative and it has its fair share of like unsavory elements, especially, I don't know if you looked into like some of like the laws and how like like police treatment not great in japan but there was one line towards the end of the movie where they were talking about how tuna and like some fish are harder to find because there's like an overabundance of uh sushi and like seafood in japan and basically like overconsumption capitalism you know classic yeah Yeah. but jiro said something or it might have actually been yoshikazu they said something really good which was like businesses should balance profit with preserving natural resources and i agree with that you know unfortunately with capitalism the main goal at the end of the day is always profit so but yeah that's kind of yeah the downside of uh how popular sushi has gotten across the world is that yeah it really has turned into a overfishing problem yeah which is it does kind of suck because uh, sushi is good but i don't know i don't know necessarily how you fix that i'm just around like i said we're not experts i'm a i'm a dumb dumb i don't <laughs> know what i'm doing <laughs> no no listen armand you were <laughs> smart you was loyal but yeah I, I think those are some of my closing things i don't know if you want to mention anything we haven't touched on yet no, I mean, yeah, basically all I've had to say about this movie is while it is kind of inspiring at times to see Jiro work and his dedication to his craft and the artistry about our, uh, behind it, what disappoints me, I guess, the most is, yeah, that older um, ideology of working yourself, slaving yourself to the grind every day to the point where it's like, it's like you don't have any free time or break and it can and it just affects all the ones around you. It has some good, you know, shots of sushi. It's some great cinematography and yeah, like you said the the scene where you get to see Jiro serve his sushi and movements is pretty neat, but other than that, yeah. Not feeling too great about 
how I walked away from this film. That's fair. I feel that. I feel that. Let's see. Do you want to go into ratings and just, yeah, kind of final statements? Yeah. Yeah, at first, like, when I first saw it, I was probably going to give it, like, a six or a seven, but it's somewhere, yeah. It's between, like, a five or six out of ten for me because I feel like not too much happens in the movie. I think this could have easily been shortened to, like, an hour-long, like, special like on a tv show right so yeah i would give it a fucking five out of ten for right now i do want to read this uh, great letterboxd uh, review that i found they gave jiro dreams of sushi a two-star rating mm-hmm. uh, i'll try i'll try to read it quickly because it's a little bit of a paragraph but so here we go this is from steven gillespie Gave it two stars on June 21st, 2020. Steven says, Werner Herzog once famously shouted at a convention for documentarians that these filmmakers should be more than a fly on a wall, that they should sting and provoke. This mentality is what Jiro Dreams of Sushi lacks, as its refusal to interrogate or challenge its subject matter leave it as a deification of toxic and overtly masculine perfectionism. Herzog's craft can certainly link link to what is shown here, but the text of his films at least unpicks this. In this documentary, we have bland craft and an uncomfortable portrait of a complex subject. This feels more like a televisual dedication that's eager to skip over any controversy. Jiro's dictatorial, dictate, dictatorial. Sorry about that. It's all right. Dictatorial perfectionism has damaged those around him and has caused damage in his life. It, however, goes unchallenged and is forever linked to the results in a way I do not like. There's a sense that the food is always worth it, and to me, everything kind of felt empty. It felt onanistic, which is a fancy word for masturbatory, <laughs> um, and in need of questioning. We also see the film bring up overfishing without even considering the waste caused by the hyperbolic perfectionism of Jiro and his restaurant. We see a supplier boasting about only ever buying one tuna in 10, for example. And towards the end, we get the best moment, an admission that Jiro doesn't do the work, per se, and a much more interesting revelation. But this goes against the narrative of the documentary, which is to deify Jiro, so it is dropped. Jiro even says that seeing as he trained his chefs, their work is his work. There is this individual exceptionalism that is pushed or just respected throughout the film and a consistent airing of boomer style longing for the good old days when parents could be physically and emotionally abusive. So yeah, two stars. Yeah, we did, didn't bring up that like scene towards the end where he, Jiro is kind of going on about how he gets all the credit right when when yeah it's mostly the other chefs who kind of do all the preparation right he's just the face now yeah and it's weird because he brings it up he's just like yeah he's kind of like yeah i shouldn't get all the credit they kind of do all the work but in a way i trained them so their work is my work okay bye (laughs) (laughs) and that's kind of like how the film ends (laughs) right but yeah, how how are you feeling? Did I tarnish your joy of this film, Joe, with my contrarian points? No, 
No, you definitely made up some great points. And I understand exactly what you're saying. I think I think I'm still going to give this a 7 out of 10. Mostly because I understand that while there is, you know, like you said, it it's not necessarily, it's more of like a special than like a documentary. Because, yeah, they're... The documentarians aren't necessarily like pushing towards anything they're just like gaining the story as it is you know and i feel like with any film even the like bbc animal documentaries you still have to kind of like get animals in these certain you basically have to like get get things in places and it has to be somewhat like you have to set up the dominoes a little bit and i feel like all they did was just kind of like spectate the dominoes and that is one style of doing it and but maybe it doesn't get like the whole story like as you're watching it you kind of get this feeling that like a lot of these see these things that they say like ingest or as asides are like way more interesting and kind of integral to the overall narrative but then they never like press on onto these like really interesting fundamentals and yeah that's definitely something i've kind of gotten a better understanding of uh like I, i'm not sure i understood all that the first time i saw it because i was probably a little hungry if i'm being honest <laughs> and i think it's also this thing of like yes just because of like japanese culture and i'm pretty sure the filmmakers are Japanese they don't controversy is just not really even with like filmmakers you know like in America filmmakers are seen as kind of radical and it's okay kind of to cause controversy and uh, for reasons of capturing it you know think of like maybe Borat or something there's not really that much of a promoted aspect of that in Japan you know like there's that famous saying where like the the nail that sticks out gets hammered down and i think that affects not just like that sense of individuality in japan or you know lack thereof but more of just like the whole culture at large and you know you still have these like personalities and these famous people who maybe are like kind of weird but for the most part it kind of yeah leads to not really wanting to go outside of the fray a little bit obviously i did not grow up there i don't live there these are just kind of what i've kind of gained knowledge of a little bit over the years and i just feel like i feel like this was good at capturing enough of what it was to be interesting to me and to like kind of show not only the life of this family and this restaurant but just yeah like a little slice of japanese culture and i feel like it does so in a way that does not completely shy away from the problems that come with you know this perfectionist lifestyle it's it's like an interesting film but maybe not so great of a documentary that is kind of a hard thing <laughs> for me to struggle with <laughs> especially because like you know i'm learning about film and stuff i do still kind of enjoy it i guess just because of especially where we are now with like coming to terms with work culture even in america 
it is kind of harder for me to recommend this film to other people because yeah. yeah we're all so like jesus you know like this isn't this just doesn't look like a fun time and i'd also like to say i know this is kind of yeah. a lot it's kind of a rant but i think watching this film is interesting because there was a time in japanese cinema where it was a little more controversial you know think of like you ever saw battle royale oh yeah 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 just you know kind of like stuff like that that you know motivated people like um um i don't know why i'm blanking on this man's name but the guy who made kill bill oh quentin tarantino yes exactly like (laughs) i don't know why i couldn't remember his name but yes battle royale (laughs) if you watch battle royale and then watch the kill bill series you can see a very obvious influence Mm -hmm. and i think there is i don't know exactly what's going on in japanese culture but i think there is they've kind of strayed away from you know more kind of controversial and like one could say a little more like interesting dynamics on like like not necessarily just violence but just like yeah just like what can be considered a good film it doesn't have to be like it doesn't have to please everyone um, and I think yeah. some of that energy has kind of somehow just leapt into South Korea. Because as we all know, um, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, sorry, I'm in such like a rant mode. I can't remember anyone's name. No, go off. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, Parasite was so. Yeah. Yeah. Bong, Bong Joon-ho was so like and he's also made some good stuff you know check out memories of murder i think that's what it's called uh stuff like that but bong joon ho and other korean filmmakers and and even actors and stuff you know i think there's uh steven yuen you know the guy who was in uh who's in minari and who was in the walking dead there is just of course because of western influence too if you look back in history in the korean war but there is this understanding in south korea right now that like artistry comes with being a little controversial and this is a a very american viewpoint i'll say that but i think it is good to have uh yeah these these pockets of controversy if it's just for like the art and you know these are kind of ways to face you know the the weirder or maybe the scarier aspects of life I don't even know. I know that K-pop is really big, obviously. I don't know too much about it. Sometimes it feels like K-pop is a little on the safer side, you know. Mm-hmm. But yes, I do respect the kind of explosion of artistry that, for some reason, even though Japan still has it when it comes to anime, it feels like South Korea has really gained... I don't know. It's like It's really kind of like in moments kind of overshadowing japan at times uh, and just in terms of like pop culture and i don't know if you know about like japanese daytime tv but it's really it's really kind of a kind of a problem it's like all very like placated like like imagine if we had a bunch of shows like the view all the time like <laughs> we would hate it yeah but that's kind of oh how my god japan is right now but south korea is it's like it's like a, a rebel cousin and well you also have to keep in mind that like the people who still watch tv are like the older audience like younger people nowadays are either 
watching YouTube or um, tuned into Twitch and watching people stream because it's more interactive. We have more interactive forms of content. That's true. That's true. God damn, Joe, you went in. I'm <laughs> sorry. I don't even know. No, no, don't apologize. That was beautiful. That was, see, like, even if I didn't, like, fully enjoy this documentary, it brought up an interesting conversation to be had. And that's really, that's all I try to do when I make picks, you know? Yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad, yes, we got to talk about these things i'm glad that yes you have this like contrarian viewpoint makes it a lot more interesting we could have just been like i really like this scene and you're like yeah and then you know (laughs) i will yeah i'll say at the at the end of the day it's great to be dedicated to to have any passion and inspiration to work hard at your craft but you you need balance in life and you can't work yourself to the bone every single day. So, but yeah, basically, just keep in mind that it's okay at the end of the day to not work yourself to the bone. It doesn't make you any less of a person, doesn't negate or depreciate your value as a person or as an artist or whatever you set out to do. It's okay to want to have free time and have security because these are things that capitalism doesn't give a shit about (laughs) and we're becoming more aware of that as we go on i will sum up my feelings on jiro dreams of sushi by reading yet another letterbox review (laughs) and don't worry this one's very short and this is from kai reynolds i understand the desire to work in a very singular way on a craft but I think Jiro is a little bit fucked up. <laughs> I think Jiro should go on a hike and listen to some music he's never heard of before and maybe just chill out on the sushi and play Mario Kart with his sons. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, Kai. Also, some pussy. <laughs> As that other... Uh, actually, let me scroll oh. down. Yeah, 941 is the the person on Letterboxd who said, Jiro, how about you dream up some pussy? (laughs) (laughs) They never really talk about his wife. Yeah. Again, yeah, you don't really go too into into depth in terms of the family dynamics besides the sons. And that's about it. (laughs) Right, right. Okay, I know we keep saying closing statements, but I I guess to keep it short and sweet, this is this is a tale about uh, basically perfectionism, passion, and being a workaholic, but at what cost? And of course, I would like to extend this to you viewers. You know, I understand what it's like to have kind of workaholic tendencies, and sometimes I don't give myself enough free time. But at what cost? You know, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah, remember that. That workaholic shit comes from capitalism. It's not the 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 natural order of things. That's that's capitalism and the white devil at the end of the day <laughs> trying to control you. <laughs> I'm semi joking, but still serious though. I know, I know. So yes, Armand, I'm glad we got to have a discussion. I feel like we both got kind of passionate about this, and it brought up some really 
good uh, good points. You said you gave this a 7 out of 10, right? 7 out of 10 because it is a tale of good sushi and torment. And it kind of, yeah, it kind of balances this tightrope between both. And to me, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Everybody who's listening, make up your own opinion. Jiro Dreams of Sushi is on Hulu. So for those of you who are into sushi, maybe go check it out. Yes. It's time, Armand. Hit me. All right, so the next film recommendation. Oh, I guess before film recommendations, was there anything you wanted to talk about? Anything happened this week or last week? All I wanted to say is, I guess like a week ago, I got the time because, you know, we're fully vaccinated. I went and visited Armand and some good friends, and I had a really nice time. And, you know, to any of those good friends that i either got to visit or maybe didn't have time for i love y'all hell yes love y'all too (laughs) all right so now it is time for film recommendation joe if you remember last episode um we brought up the elon musk episode of snl (laughs) we did that's right and and for those who don't know elon musk was on snl in some I didn't see any of the other sketches, but one sketch stood out like a fucking sore thumb and was terrible was the Mario sketch. And I figured, you know what? I'm I'm all about the Mario, and this is something that I've been meaning to watch for quite some time. So why not just check it off the watch list? I'm recommending that the next episode we're going to watch the fucking live action Super Mario Brothers movie that came out in the early 90s. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh. Joe, have you seen this film before or no? I have seen this film before. And um okay. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Wow. That's you kind of took me off guard with that one, but that's going to be that's gonna be a good one holy shit <laughs> well, hopefully i can get my hands on it because it seems like it's not available for streaming i wonder why <laughs> but it's okay we'll figure it out you know try to see if your local library has the live action super mario brothers movie from 1993 <laughs> Cause that's that's what I do whenever I can't find a film is I go to my local library <laughs> just to check but it's the internet you, you have many methods of figuring these things out for legal reasons we're not gonna tell you how <laughs> at, at your own discretion it's okay oh do you know God. that illumination is actually in the process of making a fucking Mario movie that's right. The same company that brought you the Minions. They're making a Mario movie. So we'll see how that fucking goes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know how that's going to go either. <laughs> I know that at least... I think it's Universal Studios in Japan. They have that Mario world now. That sounds kind of cool. Uh, maybe we'll... I might look into that. And then uh, as we, you know, we, we can talk a little bit about that after we dive into this, you know, this this creative jewel of a film. <laughs> yeah, I was reading on Wikipedia that some regard 
the Super Mario Brothers movie as a technological marvel because if you remember in 93 that's like when the year of CGI was like breaking out with Jurassic Park and stuff like that and I think they use CGI in this film so they do but, use CGI oh my god <laughs> but yeah so tune in next episode it's going to be fucking wacky Oh, yes. We might have a special guest on because in our friend group we have a designated Nintendo boy. Oh, yes. As we like to call him. So we might have him on to get his thoughts on it. We're, we're going to do our damn best because he's going to love it. But yeah, that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, if you uh, want to stay up to date, we have an Instagram now. Follow us at Videotapes Podcasts. Check out our Anchor website, anchor.fm slash videotapespodcasts. And again, remember, you can send us voicemails by going to the Anchor website. So if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, questions, anything, send them our way. And who knows, maybe we'll listen to them on the show. Right? And I'd also like to say thank you all for some people. I don't know if I've told you, Armand. Some people have come up to me or reached out and been like, hey, I listen to the podcast and I really like it. And that's really cool. So thank you. Yes. We do this for listeners like you. Yes. Thank you so much for tuning in and giving us some love. And uh, yeah, that'll about do it for this episode. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.